America's original and oldest heritage pack company, Duluth Pack, hosts a podcast led by CEO Tom Sega. Real stories with real people who we admire, plus outdoor industry conversations, business discussions, entrepreneurial advice, and more. Now enjoy this week's episode of Leader of the Pack. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Duluth Candy Company. Welcome to the Duluth Candy Company, the sweetest spot on Superior Street, specializing in gourmet popcorn and exquisite handmade chocolates. You will discover the perfect treats and stocking stuffers for all your holiday needs. Duluth Candy Company has double-dipped hot chocolate bombs, holiday truffles, candied popcorn, and unique gift packs. Whether it's for friends, family, co-workers, or clients, we have what you need to make your holidays sweet. Because of listeners and customers like you, we are able to carry on Duluth Pack's proud American-made legacy into our 141st year and beyond. As a token of our appreciation, we want to give our listeners 15% off their next order at DuluthPack.com until the end of 2023. Use code HOLIDAY15 at checkout. Again, that is code HOLIDAY15 for 15% off. Offer ends December 31st. Exclusions apply. Hey, everybody. This is Tom Sega with Duluth Pack, and this is the Duluth Pack podcast, Leader of the Pack. Our special guest today is a person I've gotten to know over the last few years, uh, and he is also a gentleman who had a podcast, and now he is uh, the content writer, copywriter, editor, managing director, and content creator for CW Gets Outdoors. Welcome, CW Gets. Well, thank you, Tom. Great to be here. And by the way, did you also mention the cleaning man? And um, I make coffee as well. So uh, I didn't. I didn't. But they all know <laughs> that uh, small businesses, everybody pitches in. You roll yeah. up your sleeves and you, you know, you get to do a little bit of everything. It goes with the territory, doesn't it? You know, and I noticed when we were there, um, you know, you're you're the chief. And yet you do some jobs that I'm thinking, wow, I think I just hire somebody to do that. But you're you're very involved. I love, um, very impressive, by the way. You know what? As, as your you? business, your small businesses and your unlimited budgets. And guess what you do? You be very conservative and, and uh, don't spend where you don't need to spend. But this is not to talk about me because you have such an interesting <laughs> story. CW, this is all to talk about you. So let's jump in here. And let's just find out before we get to where you are, let's find out your background and tell us your childhood. Where did you grow up? What did you like to do? What was your childhood all about? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, Tom, it's funny. I um very, very distanced from where I grew up. I mean, in far as far as a work sort of uh, aspect, but I still live here. I grew up on the farm. Uh, in the middle of North, was it North Central Illinois? I grew up on a farm. In fact, um, it, my dad was a farmer uh, before he retired. And that we grew up um, talking about this yesterday baling hay, shelling corn, pulling weeds in the beans, all that fun stuff. All the, all the things that kids really would rather be doing than hanging out with their friends in town. You know how that goes, right? Swimming pool and all that. That's just nonsense. Nobody likes that. Well, but I bet you what, learned we, some work ethic, didn't you? Well, we in, fa in fact, we did. Um, we also learned how to work out some problems because 
um, how would I say this, uh, negotiation skills and things like that, because the, I grew up with a brother. Okay. Um, you know, it was one of those things when you don't get to hang out with your friends all that much, you're pretty much stuck on the farm, pulling me, uh, pulling weeds on the beans and things like that with your brother. Um, it's you two. And if you don't get along with him, <laughs> you know, you don't have anybody to talk to. So you, you kind of figure out stuff like that skills like that early on. So there was that. And of course, you know, you beat the heck out of one another every now and then, but, uh, that's all part of the, uh, learning negotiation tactics and techniques and things as they say. But yeah, I grew up in the farm. It was, and honestly, it was a really a good childhood. It was a great childhood. I, you know, look back now and I'm thinking, you know, I felt like the time I felt like, uh, like many farm kids, you know, like we're missing out on something in town, you know, and all the, uh, you know, all the things that, that city kids, you know, I mean, it wasn't a big city, but the town kids, let's just call them that we're doing and things like that. But um, when I look back, uh, you know, we, we, we spent some quality time outdoors. And I think that is one of the things that uh, led me into things like scouting and, uh, and honestly, what I do now, which is my thing is my things, I guess, are canoeing and camping, but I always enjoyed that. Um, I think um, knowing my personality and what I did after high school, I think that if I would have been involved more with the city kids, as it were in town, I probably would have got myself in a lot of trouble, but good thing that I didn't. So uh, my dad kept us busy. And uh, of course that sort of thing. And people say, well, you know, in the town, anyway, we get an allowance. How much do you get? I go, I guess we get to put our feet under the table. That's what my dad says anyway. So basically, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you understand that we we're about the same age. So yeah, it was one of those things where, um, you really appreciated where you grew up more so later on in life than you did in the moment, I guess, for lack of a better term. So, yeah. So you grew up on a farm and you talked about scouting. Were you also in 4-H? Cause a lot of farm kids were, and that was an outlet and that was a place to, to gather with other like minded kids. In fact, we were a 4-H is one of those things. In fact, I wrote this down just before uh, the broadcast here. 4-H, another thing was FFA. Do you remember that, Tom? It I was do. the Future Farmers of America, yeah. Yes. So I was involved in both of those. And, um, you know, it just kind of, I got to tell you, though, um, when I was in when I was in 4-H, I had uh, it's kind of my interests were all over the place. I was into photography. Um, but the mainstay there was cattle. Um, and so beef cattle, specifically. And that was kind of something that my father or our father wanted us really to get into and for a while we were but you know my interest sort of waned you know in that area and went into more of the entertainment which i'll talk about here in a second but um yeah those two were big um yeah i guess when you're in country also you know you're i guess my dad must have felt sorry for us because he bought us motorcycles and snowmobiles and things like that, because uh, you figure, well, yeah, these guys don't get to go into town and uh, uh, associate with their friends in the summertime. So I'll try to make it up to them somehow. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. We, uh, we had a lot of fun with our motorized toys here in the country, as it were. And you had all the wherewithal to put them back together after you broke them, because uh, 
on the farm, you uh, you learn to fix it on your own, don't you? Well, yeah, we get into dad's tools uh, several on several occasions because of, uh, you know, such mischievous things. Actually, not mischievous. I tell you what, we um, we used to crash those things about, you know, once per week. And uh, there, you know, there are lots of battle wounds on those uh, motorcycles and snowmobiles. And uh, but you know what? We, plus, we learned, like you said, you know, we learned how to fix things on our own. It wasn't like dad was going to go, well, I'll take it to the shop and get it fixed. No, you broke it. You fix it. If you can, if you can't, too bad for you. So yeah, there were a lot of lessons there to be learned. And CW you also talked about scouting. And when did you get into scouting and how far did you go in scouting? Well, I think the first thing we I did was, well, I know was the uh, Cub Scouts. We call the Cub Scouts. And I think, I don't know if that was like seven eight years old, something like that, I think is when we may have started that. And then we went into something called Weeblos, which by the way, I, I, for some reason, I didn't sign up for that, but that was the um, intermediate stage between Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. But I, I was a Boy Scout. Um, actually tell you the truth. I just remember this the other day uh, when I was a first year Boy Scout, I was always a pretty good shot. Now there's something else, Tom, when you're a kid, in the country and you your dad buys you a bb gun for christmas you uh shoot it <laughs> because you know uh it's just something to do i remember shot my brother in a fingernail one time i didn't do it on purpose but i sh- he was standing in the driveway and i was mad at him and i i kind of wanted to scare him so i shot and i pointed down he was standing in the driveway and it, the bb must have hit a rock and it ricocheted up and hit him right in the fingernail he um yeah he let me know that hurt pretty good <laughs> so but that that gun uh, that BB gun, and I had enough target practice with that thing with uh, different things. I'm not going to go into that, but I won a watermelon for the troop, my first Boy Scout camp. And all these big guys, you know, were like, what? He won a watermelon? <laughs> it's like the youngest guy probably at camp. And uh, so I was a hero for uh, for a day, so for an evening, I guess. Whole uh, Our whole uh, troop got, uh, got to eat watermelon and uh, I don't know if we had ice cream or not, but anyway, that was uh, that was a little shining moment for me. Is that where you found your love for camping and canoeing and the outdoors is when you were scouting or did it come after that? No, you know, it, I tell you what, I, I, I always, I don't know what the, the thing was for me, but I always had a, um, an interest in Native American um, things. Okay. So for instance, when, we, when I think it was when second grade or first grade or something like I was going from first to second grade, it's 1971, 72. Um, our, my, our parents took us to Wisconsin and uh, there's a place called uh, Wisconsin Dells and Baraboo and things like that. We had, um, I was introduced to the Indians um, there tribe. And I can't even tell you what tribe that is. And I, I would probably be, you know, if it was a Potawatomi or something like that. But anyway, they did um they did different dances and we watched a ceremony one i'm like wow just fascinating and and i think that started my fascination with all things native american involved uh, or included were canoes and so that sort of thing appealed to me and when i got to boy scouts i actually got to hop in my first canoe and paddle it and um and thus began the love affair with those uh vessels so I was always interested in that. In fact, when I was that age, first, second grade, we used to sneak off down the road with our Montgomery Ward bicycles and um, 
a big old um, canvas tent that I think I got for my birthday, um, at least that year, I think. <laughs> anyway, which my birthday was in April. So it was a nice spring, you know, birthday present. I took my canvas, heavy, heavy canvas, green, military green tarp with no floor, by the way. Strapped it with some of these rubber bungee straps or the tarp straps for like you get on grain trucks. And cruise down the road to the neighbors, um, which was our relatives, their um, timber pasture. And um, we would camp out a couple days, you know, steal some of the canned soup, you know, that my mom, <laughs> things like that. And and that's where I really um, discovered camping. When I was in Boy Scouts, I just got to uh, maybe step up a level to the uh, oh, mid-professional level, I guess you'd say, because we had, you know, other types of fancier tents and real cooking utensils and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So you get done with school, you've been in 4-H and FFA and you've been in Boy Scouts and you're like, holy cow, now I got to start my career. Let's talk about the start of your career and what you started doing and, and uh, what you learned from that. Well, so here's, uh, I, I warned you that there might be some interesting things in here, some peculiar things. I'll tell you, after high school, um, I, uh, well, let, let's go backwards. When I was in high school, um, I played in the school band. I also wrote for the school newspaper. In fact, I was the first one to have an, um, their own column in the school newspaper. And, um, and then coincidentally, I, I think it was the, when it was freshman year, I was 14 years old. Um, first part of my freshman year. In fact, I joined my first band and um, first rock band. And so we did a couple of gigs and things like that. And that kind of continued more so and more so through high, throughout high school. But when I, uh, when I graduated high school, my thing was, I want to be a rock star. Um, but I enjoyed writing. And I mean, it was kind of the, I guess the, both may fall under the entertainment, uh, the category of entertainment, but I really enjoyed playing music. The bigger than that, I wanted to just be a rock star. I mean, what kid probably hasn't at some point or another said, boy, wouldn't it be cool? And, you know, um, especially during the eighties, there's a big glam thing going on, you know, um, what I, that's what I really wanted to do. My father had, um, other plans for me. He said, you'll go to college and you're, you know, you'll go to college. You do whatever you want after college, but you're going to college. And in college, um, he was, he, uh, how do I say he, he heavy persuasively, um, had me take a, a diesel mechanics course. I didn't really want to do that, but, um, he owned my car at the time. And so it was kind of like, uh, I'm going to influence you the best I can or else, you know, that sort of thing, which I get now. I totally get. But <clears throat> the biggest thing is I took the classes that uh, I was supposed to, the, at least the lab classes and the things like the math and things like that in English. I go, you know what? I'm, I'm not really worried about getting a degree in this. I'll tell you what I would like to have a degree in is journalism. So I snuck the journalism classes in there and didn't receive uh, a, a any any type of degree in either because I didn't focus on they didn't have that focus going on, but I got enough journalism classes to where it taught me a lot, and I was able to do the things that I have done even today, 
with that, you know, that knowledge and that training. So, yeah, that's kind yeah. of what happened in college, uh, left college. And then wouldn't you know it? I got a job in my field, which was welding. So I was a welder. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, yeah. So I was a welder. Actually, my first job was, uh, I don't know, I think, uh, three months, four months, something like that. Uh, spent as a car dealer at an uh, auto dealership and that company ended up going bankrupt. And so I uh, went out of business for one reason. I think it was maybe in bankruptcy. Anyway, so I got a job as a welder, did that for I think six months. And then I forgot how big, I think I went on the road with a band. Um, so that's kind of one of those things where I, my first couple of jobs had nothing to do with what I went to school for. So there's a long drawn out explanation for that. <laughs> so tell us about the band and the music. Well, um, the band and the music. Well, I grew my hair really long. I don't even know if I told you that, Tom, but if I showed you pictures, you'd probably get a quite a laugh out of it. Um, one of the things that I did in uh, 1985, in fact, I was a little out of the box, so to speak. Uh, most of the guys in the area... You know, and and we did some touring and things. One of the things that I was just driven toward was doing something that no one else was doing, at least at the time, at, at least in my little corner of the world. Okay, my little shoebox, so to speak. Um, what I mean by that is, at the time, there was only one band in the area that had recorded on vinyl. In fact, they opened up for the uh, Eagles. I think it was the Eagles. Um, they did they did some big things over in in Europe, um, but they were the only ones that did anything like that. And I said, I want to record a record. I mean, I want to record on vinyl because to me, that just seemed cool. So we put out our first um, forty five. Some of you kids out there don't know what that means, but uh, these were these little records, and I think what were they seven inch records or seven and a half inch records, something like that. Big hole in the middle. And, um, anyway, we recorded that in 1985, got released in 86. And then I forget what year it was. That was actually, that was later. Um, I'll tell you about that in a second, but anyway, we did that and you know, the local radio stations actually played that record, which today you'd never, that would never have, of course, they don't even play records anymore, but, uh, did some touring around with that man. Um, in 1993, we, um, decided to, uh, I decided, I guess it was my project, my money. <laughs> uh, I decided to make an album. Let's record an album. I had a friend of mine that we played together in that very band. And we used to write a lot of music. We went into the studio and recorded an entire album. We did a video, which I just discovered here a couple of weeks ago that still exists. I didn't know where that thing went. It actually appeared on MTV Basement Tapes back in the, uh, I think it was 93. In fact, it was the year that that album came out. Yeah. And from there, the kind of, the band sort of fell apart. We did some shows, uh, um, a couple of concert concerts, and then the band sort of went, everybody went in different directions. But that was the music thing. Thereafter, um, and I'm trying to remember what year that would have been, uh, maybe 90. I don't know, maybe 95, 96, something, 95, maybe something like that. I, um, I was working in a factory. Our jobs went to ship, got shipped down to Mexico. And I decided, you know something, now is the time 
um, I always wanted to build drums and I really didn't like the sound of the drums that I had. They were okay, but I decided to screw around, make my own, you know, mess around with that. The first drum that I made, um, or anyone else was Neil Pert from Rush. And it was kind of a strange way that uh, that happened, but he was my first customer. I mean, not just my first big, he was my very first customer. And of course I used to repair drums as well, but that was kind of, that led me into, um, you know, building drums for the David Letterman show, Jay Leno show and Jason Bonham, who many of you know, Led Zeppelin, John Bonham, the drummer, his son, um, several different groups like that. In fact, um, you remember the Nelson twins, Gunnar Nelson, I uh, got to um, actually got to go backstage and eat dinner with those. Uh, he and uh, let's see Gunner and I'm trying to think of Matthew. I think it was his brother's name. Uh, ate supper with the band and the crew and everything. One night got invited to the uh, show and he played my drum and fell in love with it and blah, blah, blah. So um, that was a, that was a neat, uh, a really fun time in my life. And it was a great experience to meet all these people and hung out with David Letterman and got to meet Natalie Cole, one of my, you know, really, really enjoyed her music and her dad's music. So it was a really nice experience for a number of years. But um, the band kind of thing after after all that, I put together a 20 piece 1970s show band. It's called Captain Groovy. And uh, we had uh, Lou Graham, the lead singer from Foreigner. We had his uh, because the band had broken up. Then we had his his manager and he managed our band, took a liking to us booked us in Wales, Mexico, big tour. That didn't happen because we played Taste of Chicago. And right after that uh, Taste of Chicago show, um, five people <laughs> left the group. And so it was, uh, it was kind of an unfortunate situation, but it is what it is. But that band had a lot of fun. In fact, that was the most fun I've ever had in a band because I always wanted to play 1970s music. And this was finally the opportunity to do that and it took me uh, almost 40 years to get to that point you know i had to wait a long time for that but when i got that situation i was the best band i ever got most fun i ever had so the band is over and is this when you transitioned into the illinois department of transportation <clears throat> you know yeah i think uh in fact I was doing, I was in the, started working for the Illinois Department of Transportation um, when I started that band. In fact, I think I started band after I was working for IDOT, as we call it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I was kind of doing both, which was a little weird because, you know, I had, uh, we had things booked with the band. It was a little tough to work out the band and the, and the emergency snow call outs that you get in Illinois frequently throughout the winter. And I was a seasonal employee. I didn't do it full time. So it was kind of a, it was a juggling act actually. And you know, there were um, like a lunch hour. Most people are eating lunch. I'm on the phone with, you know, the manager in different blah, 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 trying to put this band together. It was quite a task actually. I had 53 people in that organization. You know, you get a uh, manager and you get, <laughs> you get subs and everything else. And, you know, it's just a lot. Um, sound and lighting people, all that kind of good stuff and transportation. That's another thing. But 
but that's when I, I when I got into IDOT there, I did that for, let's see, from 2004 to 2019. In fact, it was New Year's Eve 2019 when I left. That's a little interesting story. You'd like to hear that? We would. Pull off the wall. So I'm, I'm in the break room one day. And um, before you start work, people just kind of be in there early, you know, and going through their cell phones and checking their mail and all that kind of stuff. Like at any job, right? Well, I happened to open up, and I think it was Instagram. I opened up my messages. And here's this message from this gentleman. In fact, I don't even know who he is to this day, but uh, um, I'm trying to think of his name, but I can't. Anyway, he said, hey, how would have you ever thought about hosting your own uh, radio show? And I thought, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know who he was. And why are you asking me such weird questions like that? Well, anyway, I said, sure, pal, who, who wouldn't want to do that? Send it back to him. Uh, next day, I get another mess. I get a reply from this guy. And uh, he says, well, I happen to know the owner of the station and I can set you up. And I'm like kind of laughing to myself. I'm like, yeah, sure, pal, whatever. That's fine. And he did. And uh, in fact, I think he, um, I don't know if he asked my phone number. I think he asked for my email address. And so I actually gave him my email address. And I get an email from the owner of uh, the station, uh, W4CY Radio. And um, we're talking about doing my own show. And I'm like, wow. So I just started this business in March, right? Of 2019. And here it is, October, I think, or early November of 2019. And um, this guy's saying, well, we could start your show. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I, I, I can't do that. I work during the daytime. I, mean, I work, you know, he's like, well, you can do it at one o'clock. And here's what a slot, time slot I have open for you. And I thought, yeah, that's not going to work. And um, anyway, so you, told, you think about that. I thought about that for probably two or three days. And I decided, you know something? An opportunity like this only comes along once in uh, a blue moon, as we say. Um, okay, I've worked here for hmm, almost 19 years or whatever it was. 17 years, I'm sorry. So I said, you know what? I think I'm going to do it. So I told everybody I'm going to, you know what, guys? Um, I'm going to work here until the end of the year. Of course, I had told the guy at the radio station, I said, let's do that. Let's do it this way. We'll start right after New Year, which ended up being the first part of February because I went to Mexico right after I left work. But I said, guys, I'm leaving IDOT. I said, you're not going anywhere. I said, okay. Well, I left it at that. Told the boss. We got called out New Year's Eve uh, 2019 and um, New Year's Eve to 2020. And we worked a 12-hour shift. Crawled out of the truck, the snow plow, 7 a.m., December 31st, 2019. And I never went back. <laughs> I never looked back, never went back. In fact, they called me and said, hey, um, you went back to work. Everybody did on like January 3rd or something. They said, you're late for work. You've never been late for work. I said, I'm not coming in. They go, what? I said, not ever again. I won't see you guys ever again. Sorry. You have a good one. Bye-bye now. <laughs> It's, That's what started so, this career. <laughs> so it starts your career. And is this when the camping show started or what were yeah. you doing at the radio station? Yeah, that was the camping show. In fact, um, yeah, thank you. That was the camping show, which went on for, uh, gosh, my, my first show was awkward, Tom. It was terrible. I it was super nervous, first of all. And um, 
my the producer of the show kind of if it wouldn't have been for her helping me along i'd have been uh doing the jackie gleason humana, 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 humana. you know it was it was uh very it's very nervous uh first show so who was your first guest um for actually i did the first show myself but my first guest um i believe was cliff jacobson um yeah in fact I, i'm sure it was uh cliff jacobson and we talked about that later. It was kind of funny, but he was he was my first guest of the show, and he was my very last guest of the show. We did the camping show for 150 episodes, and I uh, believe it was December 14th of uh, 2022, last year. Uh, I decided that it was probably to our best interest to rebrand the show. Now, first of all, uh, was there was we talked about everything we could camping and paddling at least canoeing that um one could without starting to repeat some things and i'm just not the kind of person who likes to repeat in fact i don't really like to even repeat myself so <laughs> i i didn't want to do that with my show and and a, a rebrand lent itself the opportunity or lent us the opportunity to take a attract more uh sponsors and, and in different areas you know in various areas um, we still don't have Red Bull, <laughs> just saying, but, but that's what I'm talking about. Instead of, you know, the, the canoes and all that sort of stuff. Um, we, it could be anybody because we talk about so much, um, on this new show, the new show, it, which started, we took a little break there, middle of December. And I think our first show was January 8th. And that show is called Outdoors People. And what we tried to accomplish there was and and as far as I know, I'm we're the only ones doing this type of a show. It's uh, it's sort of an all inclusive show. Now it's really not about like the camping show was for focused on camping. Obviously, the name camping show. This new show isn't really focused on things as much as it is on people who are doing things in the outdoors, such as yourself. You're an outdoors man, Tom. Um, which, by the way, is why I find it interesting to talk to you. You're, you're, you know, you've got a really, um, you've got an outgoing personality, but you, you're, you, you've done a lot of things. It's a very interesting to have conversations with you. Those are the kind of people you are the kind of people we have on this show, on outdoors people. It, it's I've been on your show. Yes, you have, and 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 very close to home, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so you know, the, the funny part is. You know, it, the, the whole outdoors thing is really just a means by which to interview interesting people. And that's the angle that I'm coming from. It's really about the people. Um, of course, we, we do some things, you know, some products. We, we talk about places, um, all that kind of stuff. But it's really about the people. It's about their personalities. And it's about, you know, how they, what they were feeling and experiencing inside when they jump out of airplanes, for instance, or when they're setting a world's record. We have a number, we had a number of world champions on our show. It's really more about that because everybody can identify with people, or at least they should be able to. Not everybody can identify with camping. So it's really a smaller group. So that's kind of what we were after. And I think we've achieved it, you know, broadening our, um, uh, our viewer base, our audience base, so, and of course, it's not just 
the television show. We have to also do the simultaneous radio broadcast and podcast and all that sort of stuff. But, but uh, outdoors people was just an extension of something I've always wanted to do. If I were going to be in a um, situation where I'm either interviewing people or writing about people, that sort of thing. So this really fits my fancy, I guess, uh, so to speak. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends and Mike and Jen's Hot Cocoa. Introducing Mike and Jen's Hot Cocoa crafted in Duluth, Minnesota, the hot cocoa capital of the world. With just five simple ingredients, including high quality whole milk powder, it's sure to become a family favorite. Get yours today. Shop at the Duluth Pack store or online at DuluthPack.com. Let's talk a little bit about that. And first of all, before we jump into that, for our listeners, CW, give them all of your social handles. Give them uh, Facebook and all of the information. So if they want to come and, and in the future watch your show, or if they want to go back and look at old episodes uh, that you have in the can, uh, that people can go look at it because it's very interesting and, and some really unique people you've had on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you for allowing me to do that, Tom. Um, if, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, Google, Pandora, all those others. You can, it, it's always CW Gets Outdoors. And I'm going to spell that for you because Gets is a little funny little German name that people, uh, <laughs> but it's. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leader of the Pack. Don't forget to rate this podcast, and we would certainly be grateful if you'd give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow Duluth Pack on social media at Duluth Pack. And shop online at DuluthPack.com. Don't forget to support American jobs and buy American made.